Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So let me ask you a question. Do you know why the leaf went to the doctor? Because it was feeling green. How can you tell that the ocean is friendly? It waves. waves. Very good. There you go. And one more. What did the ground say to the earthquake? You crack me up. (laughs) I have more of those. I have a whole bunch of those. So we'll see if we can feed feed them in a little bit. So today's message is, not sure if I have the... Let's see, one more back. Title, Why We Care or Why We Earth Care. Um, Because Earth Day is coming up this Saturday, I thought it would be appropriate to talk a little bit about how spirituality connects us to the earth and to the world and to the universe. And I think it's an appropriate topic for us in unity to talk about because often with our principles and the law of mind action and all that, it sometimes feels like everything has to only be about the mind and the heart. And we're almost sometimes a bit distant from what happens in the world. Some even say within unity, well, I can control everything with my mind. Nothing that's on the outside is affecting me at all. But that's really not true. Even Paul Hasselbeck, who, Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck, who <clears throat> wrote the metaphysics book and was, is a, still a great leader within the unity movement, he makes it very clear that the law of mind action doesn't mean that now we're supposed to be sitting at home and just think about stuff. And it also doesn't mean that when what we do in the world, that that does not affect us. It doesn't mean that when bad things happen in the world that we can just kind of like block it out. We could, if we had all power and almighty power, and yes, to a great degree, we believe we have that ability to tap into God's potential, which is, we believe, is our own potential. It's one and the same thing. But the reality shows us something quite different, right? It is true that when we were at peace, all of us, every single of the seven billion people that we have on this earth, if we all were at peace all day long, every day, within ourselves, and just, just be peaceful, no judgment, no worries, and everything, yes, it would be true that then we would have world peace. But the reality is a little bit different, isn't it? We have wars, we have arguments, we have lots of stuff happening that we often don't like. And 
So we need to learn how to deal with that. <clears throat> we need to learn that there is part of us that we need to take responsibility for our own actions and learn to be peaceful within ourselves. But then also there is a part where we're asked to go out into communities just as ours and help each other to come to peace. That's the compassionate part, isn't it? When we have a friend who is struggling and they're obviously not at peace, yeah, sure, we can say, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and then move on with our day. But part of earth care is to actually stop our own busyness in life and maybe call someone or visit them. Even nowadays, after COVID, you don't know how powerful a visit can be, rather than a text or an email. But we are inclined to email and text because that gets that out of the way so that we can return to the busyness of our lives. So I want to start with a sincere warning that John of Patmos has given us through the book of Revelation. Very specifically, he wrote right in the middle of the book, chapter 11, verse 18, he wrote this. The nations raged, but your wrath has come, and the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. John is very cryptic. It's very hard to interpret John. Because remember, when John was exiled on Patmos, the heavens opened up to him, and he had these awesome visions. And he would write them all down. And they're very cryptic, as often our visions or our dreams are, aren't they? I mean, sometimes we dream maybe about animals instead of people, and we kind of can't figure out what this is about. And in this particular um, passage here, the last of the seven angels with seven trumpets, blew the trumpet. And it's kind of the conclusion of that particular segment, and it's a warning. Some interpret this warning also as the rapture, right? The rapture, which is something that some churches are very big on, that we need to be um, a Christian in order to be taken up into this rapture. In unity, we don't really talk about rapture because we don't believe in heaven to be something outside of us or something that we go to after we die. So the idea of a rapture coming doesn't make much sense. And yet we need to take this warning seriously. But we need to take it seriously from a different perspective. And we need to understand why that is. And it starts with the word apocalypse. Probably most of you, when you hear the word apocalypse, even if you know the true meaning of it from the root word, what are you usually thinking about? The movie, yeah. The movie right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis, right? Is that the movie? No. Apocalypse? It's, it's an apocalypse movie, but it's not apocalypse now, right? Okay, so it's a movie. But what do you think about? What's the movie about? 
destruction, the end of the world. So it really fits this, this definition that we now have. When you look up in the modern dictionary, that's what you get to see. Unless the dictionary is kind enough to tell you what the Greek word is, which is very similar, apocalypse, or apocalypsis, which means uncovering. Because it comes from kaluptein, and kaluptein means to cover up. And then the add-on, the prefix apo, negates whatever the word coming after means. So instead of covering up, a copolypse, a copolypse is, I can't speak today, is uncovering. So the book of Revelation is not about the destruction of the world, but it's about uncovering the truth. And even if we go into the metaphysics, angels, without even knowing too much about unity metaphysics, what does generally an angel stand for? Yeah, higher ideas, that's very unity, thank you. Guardians, yeah. Messengers, yeah, messengers from God, right? God is sending an angel because God wants to speak to us through an angel, right? And in unity, we accept that as a, a pretty much uh, a, a really relevant symbolism to that. An angel is a message of God, however, we see it as a message from within us when we are tapping into the truth and we are learning to do that, to kind of block away for a moment all the busyness and understand the truth of who and what we are. Then the trumpets have also a symbolism behind it. Trumpets are used in the Hebrew scriptures more so, the walls of Jericho comes to mind. You know, they use trumpets to crumble the walls of Jericho. And again, you don't even have to be a metaphysician to kind of get what that could mean. When we put walls up, what does that mean? Separation. We're not being ourselves. And who does not have to put those walls up nowadays, it seems, right? It's very tough to be really who we want to be, right? It's kind of hard for me to really want to show up in shorts and sandals even though I would love to, <laughs> you know? Um, it's a funny example, but it's a way of putting my walls around me. I don't reveal too much of myself depending on who I talk with because that could hurt me later down the road. The walls of Jericho is that protection. But the trumpets are a symbol of truth. Because in order for us to really get full access to God, the divine within, the universe that speaks to us, nature, we need to let those walls crumble. That's why we teach prayer in unity and meditation, because we know it's harder to do this in a community. It's easier for us to do this at home at first. And just take five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long, and just sit in meditation and let those walls crumble. Because when we close our eyes 
and we don't have to talk to anyone and we don't have to be anything for anyone. We can be real, right? We can blow those trumpets and tear those walls down. And that's when God is speaking to us. That's when God reveals through us, or we are revealing that God aspect to ourselves and the world. So now we're looking at John in this particular way. It's the angel, a messenger from God, that blows the trumpet, which crumbles all the, all the walls that we have down. And in that context, the truth is revealed that those who destroy the earth will be destroyed. Those who are wicked will not survive. And in the end, all that means is if we don't learn to let go of our wickedness, we will not survive because it's not sustainable. We cannot sustain a life that is bathed in disagreements and hardship and anger. And we're influencing each other all day long in that way. And the beauty is we have a choice. We can choose differently. We can do this differently. And what I wanted to talk about today, after giving you this dark message of John by John, is to lighten it up a little bit and look at some of the different religions and what they tell us how we can use the earth, how we can use Mother Earth and the physicality, the physical creation around us to help us let those walls crumble and change the world and hopefully the world peace. And I want to start with Chief Seattle who um, we use as a representation of American Indian religion, which, as you probably know, is very connected to the earth. And he says, the earth does not belong to man. Man belongs to the earth. All things are connected like the blood that unites us all. Man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand of it in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. It's very clear that there is a bigger picture here. I love this first part. The earth doesn't belong to us. We belong to the earth. But how are we behaving every day, you would think? The first or the second part? Do we behave like the earth belongs to us, or do we behave like the we belong to the earth. Huh? Depends on who you ask. Well, I ask all of us, so you just shout it out. Earth belongs to us, right? We're buying a house, and with that house comes property, and we claim that property. And then from then on, our deed tells us this earth belongs to us. We have an actual physical practice all around the world. And famously, obviously, as you know, American Indians did not understand that concept. When the whites came over, you know, the British came over and said, hey, um, we just claimed this piece of land. It's now us. They went, what? 
what are you talking about? It's, it's something that did not make sense. That's why we see this in Chief Seattle's quote here. And I'm not saying that we should now all give up our houses and uh, you know, donate our lands to um, wherever. And, and if you want to do that, please donate it to Unity Fort Worth. <laughs> we are very grateful for that. But I'm not asking to do that. It's, it's really about the relationship that we have with what we own. The relationship we have with what is surrounding us. That really what it is about. If we have a relationship with each other in terms of you don't belong to me, I don't belong to you, we both belong to something much greater. And that's who and what we serve. Guess how much easier it would be for us to get along, wouldn't it? Here's another quote from the Baha'i uh, religion. Baha'u'llah said, nature in its essence is the embodiment of my name, the maker, the creator. Its manifestation are diversified by varying causes. And in this diversity, there are signs for men of discernment. I love that he writes Nature is the embodiment of my name. That's how you see how Baha'ism, the Baha'i religion is so close to unity, the belief in oneness, that there is this idea, even in Baha'u'llah's writing, that there is no separation between God and us. It's impossible to, for that to exist. In Buddhism, we have uh, Swan Hua, who said, Buddhism regards all living creatures as being endowed with the Buddha nature and the potential to become Buddhas. That's why Buddhism teaches us to refrain from killing and to liberate creatures instead. Now, you could say this is kind of like activism for vegans, right, or anything like that, but it is not. It's much bigger than that. First of all, Buddhism here, or uh, Brother Hua, reminds us that Buddha nature is in all of us, in all of existence. And what is Buddha nature? Buddha nature is the enlightened experience that Gautama Buddha in the end got as he was sitting under the body tree ready to listen to the world. You know, when you, when you read Siddhartha, Hermann Hesse's book, there is a, a long passage just before Buddha reaches enlightenment where Buddha learns from Vasudeva, the ferryman, who has, he has met throughout his life several times. But at the very end, he realized that Vasudeva actually was the one who was enlightened, was the one who had to teach something to him. And Vasudeva told him, you sit by the river and you listen to the river. And he would go back and forth to Vasudeva and said, I got it, I got it. And they would tell him what the river told him. And Vasudeva said, that's awesome, but there's more. And this would go on and go on and go on until Buddha himself reached enlightenment. It was through the experience of being in nature, not as the owner of nature, 
but as part of it, as someone who serves nature, someone who surrenders to the river and allows everything that the river had to tell him, that's how the Buddha reached that peace. And Buddhism teaches that to all of us. You see this in all Buddhist teachings, that we are not supposed to fight anything, even our darkest thoughts, our most difficult emotions and memories. We are to be just like the river, because all of it deserves to be part of us. No one deserves to be separated. In Hinduism, we have the goddess of the forest and the goddess of wild creatures. And her name is Aranyani, Aranyani or Aranyani. And there's actually a, a, a sutra in the Rig Veda, one of the Vedas in the Hindu scriptures. They're about 1200, 1500 before Common Era when they were written, so they're a lot older than the Bible or even the Hebrew scriptures. They're sacred, ancient scriptures. And this is just the first part where in the Rig Vedas, there is this question that um, the writer of the Vedas asked of Aryanyi, goddess of wild and forest who seemest to vanish from the sight. How is it that you seekest not the village? Art thou not afraid? And the rest of the conversation is Ar Aranyani explaining the writer of the Veda why it is so important for all of us to keep a connection to life, to keep a connection to even the smallest creature. She talks about cows and the farm animals and all that, but she also talks about the wild creatures. That's why she is considered the prime goddess of the wild creatures in the forest. Those creatures that we may reject or may even hunt or um, harm in any way. Again, very much like Buddhism, in this teaching, our Aranyani teaching, it's all about being exclusive. I mean, go and walk into a forest, you know, and just take a stroll for a couple of hours. You probably find a lot of beauty there, but probably also a couple of things that you don't necessarily want there, especially trash. And I'm not saying we want to have trash in there, but the forest at night, for example, can be very um, scary, can it be? Have you ever been in the forest at night? Dark, right? I remember a long, long time ago when I was still living in Switzerland, I uh, lived in a, on a campground that was closed during the winter, but they allowed me to, to live there. And it was like a tiny little camper, right? And the campground was closed. There was no power. Actually, there was power. They, they let the power on for me, and I had a tiny, one of those tiny little heaters. Have you ever bought one of those and tried to heat a whole room in, at like minus 20 degrees? It got really cold, and the heater didn't do, didn't do anything. So I just stopped. And I, so like the first month, it cost me $600 because the, the heater didn't, didn't work. And I said, I'm not going to be able to pay that. So I stopped. I just stopped heating anything. And I learned to live in the cold 
um, just there, you know, just without any heat. And I started to become so in tune with nature that what used to be very scary sometimes at night, is in Switzerland we still have bears and, and, and the howling of the wolves and all that, uh, at least back then we used to. Um, you wouldn't go out necessarily after dark and walk in the woods. Guess what I did? It's exactly what I did. It was the most beautiful experience to just be in nature and not fight anything. I had a flashlight in my backpack, but I never used it. It was just for emergencies. My eyes adjusted. There was some moonlight and the thick forest in the middle of Switzerland. And for hours, I was able to walk through the forest next to the howling of the, the wolves, barking at the dogs, and maybe some bears who snuck up on me, but fortunately, I didn't see them, right? <laughs> there is something to be said to connect with nature in a different way, in a way that we may have not done so before and to be in acceptance of those wild creatures, as Arion Yanni says. There's another passage in a different Veda, Atharva Veda, that might connect to Arion Yanni, but I'm not sure. But it says to the animals of the earth and those of heaven, to the wild beasts of the forest, to the winged birds, do we speak, they shall deliver us from calamity. We see in those ancient religions, much older, some of them, than the religion that we grow up with in the West, there is a deep connection to the earth and to the animals. And rather than conquering the animals and try to be owning the animals, they learn to be part of the whole circle. And there's a beauty about that. When it comes to our spirituality, there is an ask that you can see in so many different texts that we need to learn to be part of that rather than be separate from it. In the Quran, Islam, and have you seen that seed which you grow? Is it you who makes it grow or are we the grower? Very unusual for Muslim faith to say we instead of Allah. I thought it was an interesting translation of this passage. Is it us individually who grows, or are, is it all of us together? A question for you to answer. This is from Job, that's Judaism, book of Job in the Hebrew Scriptures. But ask the animals now, and they shall teach you the birds of the sky, and they shall tell you. Just ask them. Now, I'm not here to sell you the idea that we all need to leave our jobs, leave our homes, and just go out and live in nature. Although, I keep bringing up the idea of the yurt, which is going to be our future church, right? <laughs> and I'm going to instill this in you until you can't think of anything else. But that's not the ask here. 
but the ask is to be a little bit more contemplative sometimes and wonder about the bird that may have landed on our fence. And maybe even ask the bird, maybe even out loud, what have you to teach me? And finally, Christianity, St. Francis of Assisi, praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister Mother Earth, who sustains and governs us and who produces various fruit with colored flowers and herbs. Now we see here the separation that's often seen in Christianity between something that is greater than us and ourselves. But we can easily translate that. We can make this part of us. And St. Francis obviously is a great uh, person to talk about animals and talk about nature in total. So in the end, the question is, what are we going to do? Earth Day is coming up next Saturday. Maybe you're among those who will turn off all your lights and everything in your house. And if you uh, like watching the news, I encourage you to turn off the news for at least one hour. <laughs> Believe me, it helps. I've seen this over and over again. Um, but even if you're not, maybe next week is a way for you to ask yourself, how am I using my spirituality when I go into this nature? And even if you don't go out in the woods, even if you just drive along the road, that is still part of Mother Earth. And I will have all of this up in my sermon notes, and maybe one of those quotes has spoken to you today, or one of those representatives of the religions, and you may read up on them a little bit more and find how we can utilize Mother Nature and we can utilize the Earth for our own spirituality. And with that, let us just take a moment and contemplate this question in meditation. This may be the first time you ever meditated with us, whether here in person or online. And just want to walk you through some things to do that help to turn within. First, just make sure you sit comfortably in your seat. Try to be upright rather than lying down. And if you can, plant both of your feet firmly on the ground, on the floor, wherever you are. Because that is your connection to the earth. That is how we all connect to something that is so much greater, a beautiful expression of what we all create together every day. 
And you may place your hand on your thighs or the side, on the side of you. Most importantly, your posture needs to be comfortable. Imagine for a moment that you are not separate from God's creation or your creation, but you are very much part of it. So your comfort allows you to surrender, to become a piece of that wonderful puzzle of the universe. And now let us all take a deep breath and breathe into our body, not just up on our chest, but all the way down as much as we can. Imagine the oxygen to go through our entire body, all the way out to our fingers and toes. And then exhale, allowing our body to rid itself of what no longer is needed, which will feed the earth, give the trees something to breathe and turn it back into oxygen that we need. Let us be part of that cycle and be conscious about that right now. Every breath we take is because of a mechanism that is at work. That's not human necessarily. It's part of everything. And every exhale, everything that we let go, feeds into that. So as you keep breathing, just allow your thoughts to calm, to slow. Maybe you already have your eyes closed or lowered your gaze and now consciously turn your mind and heart inward. Become aware of yourself. Your smaller self, the human self, and the larger, the bigger, the infinite self, the divine self. They're both one and the same. They're both important. And we shall not reject any part of it. And just keep breathing deeply and allow that oneness, that realization to occur. from this place, this place of peace, this place of inner peace, which is very much part of world peace, something that many, if not all of us, seek every day. 
we ask the question, what are we going to do? What are the things in life that inspire me? Who are the people that make me laugh? What do I do that brings me joy? And what am I going to do this week in honor of Earth Day? Yes, but in honor of all of us. And whether the, the answer comes now or later on, we fill our hearts with gratitude. We allow our hearts to expand and give thanks to the many things that have us brought us here today. To this moment. We give thanks to each other, allowing this community to continue to bless each other and bless the world with a way of allowing heaven to be created on earth in every moment. We give thanks to the simplicity of life and everything that is in it. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.